Welcome to 21st Century Saints. We are a podcast and live stream series for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, and also for those who are just interested generally in the subject of Mormonism. Um, we don't speak on behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints but we are members who care about the church and uh, we we have a lot of things to say which is why we started the podcast. So it's a little bit different to speak to you um, all here in this format. Generally, people come to listen to us with a little bit of a background about Mormonism in general. So um, I am your host, Jane Christie, and this is my genius co-host, Sarah Elizabeth Delaney. Um, Sarah, let's just, let's just kick everyone off with the background that they need. Could you give us a bit of an overview of what our audience need to know before we begin? Yeah, I think it's really important to have a little bit of a framework for Mormonism, if, wherever you are, whether you've ever heard of it before or never heard of it before. But the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a high-demand patriarchal organisation. Women don't hold key decision-making positions or authority, and the Church does place a high value on the family unit. Fathers are seen as the head of the home, women are caregivers, very conservative, traditional, 1920s-type model almost of the family, really. Women there's been it's changed lately but at one time women always stayed at home and looked after children there's been an increasing shift to change that recently but a man is always responsible for everything that's happening at church so if you walk into a church even if a woman is teaching a class the ultimate authority and decision maker around that class and what's taught and how it's run will be a man somewhere the so church how does do, something how do women well how do how do women tend to, to sort of feel in that? Because um, obviously, you know, I, I know there, there are women who really appreciate and honour and uh, and feel valued in that role. They have a lot of soft power in that role. You don't definitely really seem like that kind of traditional woman. Is that is that right? Do you see a tension there? I think I think we are very nuanced in our views about the church and we perhaps would challenge and question quite a few of the traditional values that the church hold while still having a great love of the church in our life we would yeah. question and challenge many things there is a tension for women some women feel marginalized they feel silenced they feel frustrated that they feel that as women they're not being understood and they haven't got a space to speak and a space to really kind of own and have an equal part in what is happening we see increasingly with teenage girls today that they're questioning the male authority and patriarchy and they're just like, hey, hang on a minute here, this doesn't fit with my life, I'm not sure this works for me. So we are seeing some challenges across the church about that. We also find talk that... About, yeah, talk about the, the culture then and, and the journey that the church has been on. What 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 does this, yeah. this look like? What is it you're... What are you specifically seeing? Because you have this really incredible mm. background with a lot of expertise in this area. Um, and, and I think you've been able to see things much more clearly than uh, certainly I, you know, had for many years. Well, I think some of the things within the church that influence the safeguarding agenda very significantly are the culture of the church around things like worthiness where people are expected to have faith and respect and deference to leaders they're expected to follow advice and guidance that leaders give them and actually it's a little bit of badge of honor if you kind of follow the head of the church who is a prophet president that if you actually follow everything he tells you and you obey what local leaders tell you then it is seen as a badge of faith for worthiness and something that people value and some of these cultural things become problematic in safeguarding. For example, 
we teach our children and youth to have faith and confidence in their leaders. They're taught that leaders are called by God, that the leaders are directly asked by God to have this particular person teach this class or run that youth activity. So we teach our children that they should respect these leaders because they're called of God. Can I put and a fine point on that, Sarah? So when, mm. when leaders we're talking about, so at a local level, we're talking about a bishop who would be the equivalent of a minister or a priest. Um, so the, the bishop would be the decision maker there and anyone who would be running a youth programme, so perhaps the, the same age as maybe guides and scouts, this this sort of type of age group. So from infancy and up, um, those leaders who are running those primary programmes, youth programmes, they are all seen as being called of God. Um, the prophet who is sort of globally is, um, if, if anything needs to be changed or revealed, it would go through him. But certainly the, the decision makers over someone who, who has ecclesiastical authority over them would always be a man. Absolutely. And there's issues around that because what we find on the safeguard is when we talk to people about safeguarding and we say, oh, you know, things that need to change, there's some things that are okay, but there's things that need to be improved and we can see gaps in it. Very mm. often people will say to us, well, if anything in this church needs to change, the prophet will know and the prophet will change it and he'll tell us what we need to do. And until he tells us we need to change something, everything is okay. Yeah. We also know that there's a, a real problem. when, If we think about what we just said about people being called of God and we teach our children to respect them because they're called of God, that in itself, that teaching can become a significant barrier and confusion for a child yes. around abuse and just a really good example you've got a child in a primary class which is for sort of three to eleven year olds and a child is abused by a teacher that child is going to be thinking well hang on a minute the bishop is called of god and he asked that person to teach me and that person's abused me and hurt me so how can i tell anybody and so there's going to be a lot of additional confusion around that there's also a cultural teaching that we shouldn't criticise our leaders. Now, that's actually, it It can create a great community when we're not criticising one another and we're kind of loving and respecting one another. But when it comes down to safeguarding, if you can't criticise, how can you tell somebody you feel uncomfortable with their behaviour or they've hurt you in any way or you're aware that they've hurt or you're worried they might hurt somebody else? Because to speak about somebody in that way, you actually have to criticise them. And that can be really problematic and really difficult. Absolutely. And so we, what we do see in the church in general is um, is negativity or criticism or even just a, a sort of different viewpoint um, is could potentially be seen as... Um, yeah you know these are these are negative feelings it, it leads to um which, which would ultimately be coming from satan um bad feelings come from satan good feelings come from god and yeah. um you know so to to have any conflict leads to silence so not only do we have you know i'm sure our audience is more than aware of the the difficulties that people have in coming forward with a reports of abuse in the first place but add to that this sort of code of silence where we cannot talk about it and what we often find out um you know certainly from people who've contacted us from from examples in the media is that everyone knows i mean in, in just about every every ward every state you know every every sort of area that that, that we're mm -hmm. we're hearing from 
everyone or or certainly people at at leadership level are very aware of what some of the problems are but we don't talk about it there is this ungodly silence around the subject Jane, can we mention a bit about shame? I think that's really important please, to understand. Please, please yeah. do. Yes. Within, within the teachings of the church, a high value is placed on chastity. And chastity refers to absolutely no sexual behaviour between anyone outside of marriage. And it also refers to absolutely no gay sexual activity. And there's a strong pressure for people. Even teachings around masturbation is not okay and wearing clothing that is considered immodest is not okay so there's a strong teaching around sexual behavior in the church and what is okay and what isn't okay mm -hmm. with sexual sin being seen in seriousness as next to murder so breaking any of those teachings or rules around sexual behavior comes with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt for people so if anybody wants to go and talk to a bishop about a sexual experience that has happened that might be unwanted it might have been abusive it might have been confusing it might be harmful then that's a really difficult thing to do when sex in some ways is tied up with shame it becomes really problematic the church has been on a massive journey around safeguarding because we did find sort of 30 odd years ago where victims were there was a lot of victim blaming and there was a lot of well actually victims probably you know are you responsible anyway whatsoever so there was a lot of victim blaming in teachings 30 years ago now we are hearing very clear statements from the prayers and provident of the church to state very clearly that sexual sin is not okay it is not okay to sexually abuse anybody it's not okay to harm anybody physically emotionally or sexually and then that can lead to sanctions from the church such as withdrawal of membership so there is a powerful message being given that it's not okay to cause harm or abuse. Yeah, However, the, the, uh, yeah Sarah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think what we are seeing within our safeguarding campaign is that often, that uh, while those messages are very, very clear, the threat of um, what is used to be called ex excommunication is certainly there for, for people, um, you know, when it's at a level of seriousness. Um, it's not always those shaming messages haven't always filtered through to bishops and there's very rarely as there's something that's reported to us where the bishop hasn't attached some level of uh, question to the victim um you know about what what they have done or what they have not done or even messages around forgiveness um you you mentioned um you you said there's a few things that you think are okay uh when it comes to safeguarding that you know you, you see is okay could, could you maybe talk about just briefly what what some of those things are what what is the church doing around safeguarding that is that is well you're saying okay but we'll see good <laughs> we say okay but things need we say okay with we're nuanced we're nuanced people we are Yay. there's um, <laughs> i think what we have got is some policies and procedures that speak clearly to abuse should be managed safely and speak clearly to the church's intent to provide love concern support for victims and to hold perpetrators of harm accountable for their actions those messages are taught loudly and clearly and there's lots and lots of information on the church website about that the church have um one of the key policies the church have is they have a thing called the abuse helpline which is run by a solicitor in the uk and every bishop's 
leader within the church, if they become aware of a case of abuse, their first point of call, and there's some issues around that which we can discuss, but their mm. first point of call is supposed to be to the abuse helpline to gain advice on what they should do. And they're meant to discuss with the abuse helpline, is this abuse? Should we report it? What do we do? Yeah. Do you, do you mind if I just jump in with that one just because? that's uh, something that's been on my mind a lot recently um i don't like the church helpline i would mm -hmm. rather see it you know dissolved in favor of something much much safer um i believe okay. the first protocol is to be you know call the authorities in the local yes. safeguarding board i don't feel that it's a, 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 i think it's good that there is a helpline but it's certainly not victim-centered i would say that um, also we see that jane in that victims are not allowed to contact the helpline and the bishops are meant to follow the advice of the helpline and we've had many many people come forward to us including bishops and leaders in the church come to us and say this is what the helpline have told me and i'm a bit worried about it let, let's move on. The, the, so, I, I mean, I like to highlight the systems of annotations where um, if a member, and I think this is fantastic, that in a global church, not only do we have the ability to, where, where there to be a good safeguarding policy or a new safeguarding policy that was uh, to be implemented, it would happen instantaneously. We yeah. have members who are ready to go and implement that across the world, with, you know, without question. Um, the system of annotations works with that global system and that a membership record can have a note to say that this person should not be working with children wherever they go in the world that record should follow them now it's not perfect we do still because we seek for excellence we still have concerns about that but those are just a couple of you know examples of what we would see as um as really good practice but sarah what are some of the things that that we've had to focus on in our safeguarding campaign and one of the things that i i would like to sort of lead into that with is um, there, of course, is a sense that, that uh, abuse, we're just simply focusing on children, whereas what we also have is, um, is uh, you know, adults, um, people with learning difficulties, people in vulnerable uh, situations such as poverty um, in a church where, you know, the, the procedures generally members are expected uh, to uh, to be in good standing to pay 10 percent mm -hmm. of their earnings mm -hmm. people on benefits are also expected to to do that so yeah. when you're having discussions about how a disabled person someone with, with special needs um or is in poverty uh, people who you know english isn't their first language these types of things um the, the safeguarding campaign is really looking at all of these things that often bishops yes. don't really realise because of that power dynamic, the impact that they have, the the control um, even that, that they can have. Um, Sarah, would you like to talk a little bit about what we're seeking, what, what, we're, what we've been yeah. doing? Well, we started, we, we've both of us spoken to church leaders for on many occasions over years and years and years about concerns around safeguarding. Mm. And we found that it was very difficult to have our voice heard. And generally we were hearing things back like, you know, we've got it all in hand. It's all okay. You don't need to worry. And we thought, actually, we are worried. Oh. Yes, and it's important to say, not just Sarah and, and her experience, there's been people, members of the church, faithful members all over the country for many, many years who've been asking for the same thing. Absolutely. Please continue. <laughs> so we decided in August last year that we needed to take a much more serious step around saying to the church, this is absolutely not okay. We will stand shoulder to shoulder and we will help you improve safeguarding in this church. 
but ungodly silence is not okay any longer and we are going to speak out and this is what needs to happen so we started talking about the importance of abuse being recognized understood and developing a culture where people would talk about abuse some of the key things we wanted to see were a dbs process brought in so there was safer recruitment for everybody in the church that currently doesn't happen and it's a bit mind-blowing for most people that our church rejects the dbs system but we would say there's a significant need to help them understand the importance of dbs checks and the whole safer recruitment process Mm. We also spoke to the church about if they want to create a culture where people are going to feel able to speak out about abuse and talk about concerns they've got, then there needs to be something to give them the message that that's okay to do. So we asked them to start putting information up on the walls in the chapel, posters, leaflets, information to just tell people what to do if they're concerned about a child and yes. signposting children, youth, young people, women, anybody who needs it to help organisations outside of the church because we wanted to bring about an end to the insular way our church operates in that they try yeah. to do everything inside and we're like no we need to stop all that we need to bring right. transparency and a spotlight onto the problems because only then when we're really clear what these problems are and we have people looking at it with an outside pair of eyes we will be able to make really good steps forward in managing abuse we also wanted to go for some better training because at the moment the church operates a very brief 30-minute cartoon-based film for people to watch that they watch on their own at home and then it's reported that they've watched it that just gives the very basic messages about safeguarding and the key message it gives is there must always be two people present with you youth or young people children at any one time you should never be on your own with a child always have two people present and if you've got any worries about abuse you must go and talk about them to your bishop but that's about as far as it went so we were saying actually that's inadequate yeah. to prepare bishops to manage abuse and it's inadequate to prepare and help members recognize what abuse looks like and know how to respond to it yes yes so sarah i'm going to come back uh, just for a final comment in a second but just i guess from for for from my point of view um what i would really highlight is that this campaign that we embarked on started because of one victim's voice um a victim who still to this day has not been able to share their story Mormonism is so tightly knit um, across the world, but especially in the UK, that simply sharing your story becomes so divisive where everyone has picked a side. And so we wanted to create a landscape where people could talk, where this ungodly silence would end. We have been recommending that the church work with external agencies such as the NSPCC 318 um, to really look at how partnerships can help us become we, we have the potential to become a world leader in safeguarding in our church. The the procedures, the the it's all it's all there and we're able to do this. But what we currently have is a system that gives members confidence that safeguarding exists when actually there are huge gaps. Now the uh, the mm -hmm. testimony that was provided to the church in last year's um independent inquiry into child sexual abuse suggests that there is very, very little in the way of um abuse reports in the church. What we are finding is that is absolutely not the case and not a day is going by where we don't hear about another incident 
both historic mm. and most certainly shockingly to us current. So people are coming forward. Um, we, we feel like the best thing about this, where we are in this space is that everyone is working together now. Both people who have left the church, people who are in the church are suddenly um, feeling that they can speak out about it. And whereas previously no one had the authority to do that, um, people are beginning to clean that for themselves. Sarah, do you want to close out with any final uh, thoughts? No, I think it's really important that external agencies to the church become involved in this safeguarding work and actually become involved in raising to the church the importance of it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, if you need any more information on the 21st Century Saints Safeguarding Campaign or if we can ask any questions, be of any help to you, you can find out more about our work at 21stCenturySaints.org. We thank you for the work that you do in this space and we bless your journeys. Thank you.